0: You're drowned by my perfect fire My perfect thigh. Hello Boulder I was like trying to be like these boys No, I'm with you <laughs> But the truth they're is not, is that I'm a Lanky guy And they're probably not all in Boulder
1: This is the World on the Hill Podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. I am Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Moses And you are we are coming to you on All Saints Day. Boom! How's your candy coma? Father Peter, from all the candy you ate on Halloween. <laughs> Dude, we're recording this before. Yeah, Halloween. Halloween hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I, I am excited for the candy coma. I am excited to pilfer all of my kids' candy. Oh. And eat it. Dude, so one Not t- all of it, but one lot. time in a my lot. life.
0: I I got together with a bunch of college students. Okay, tell me more. And we were gonna play we, we played a game of Settlers of Catan. Settlers. Settlers of Catan. Not and settlers. Settlers. Okay,
1: I'm with you. And <laughs> with um, you so far.
0: And uh we had like a five pound bag of gummy bears. And okay. And we ate the whole thing. I ate like a pound of gummy bears. Five
1: pounds? How much is five pounds? I can't. I can't picture it.
0: It's a vendor bag. It's like another. Oh, another it, level. It's another level. And and what happened is that the next day I literally woke up with a hangover. I had so much sugar playing that game that I could not even believe it. So, you guys, um, I have to say that I'd like totally geek out about Halloween. I think Halloween. I think the whole world like kind of gets excited about Halloween like but I but, kind of hate it. And so um here we go. No, <laughs> no well, I don't the, hate okay, it, but well, it's well, just it, why
1: does it have to be so scary? Well no, this
0: is the thing is that I I think that evil. Um, um, I think that people it's It's not evil, deep but deep down inside know that they're celebrating the saints. I don't think they do. I That's don't a very think. generous <laughs> assumption on
1: people. <laughs> I don't I, think my neighbors with their dead body hanging from trees mannequins think they're celebrating the saints maybe they do i i don't either but i just don't need that i don't need that you don't, I don't need, that. need
0: that you don't need that
1: nah.
0: i like gigantic spiders and spiders are fine i don't mind the gigantic blow up spiders dude i it's I, creepy it's spooky I, I had a i had a friend who did this weird thing in his window he sent me a text of it like all of the uh, kind of weird like backlight projection of like people being murdered in the house it like was no, really no. terrifying it was like, really ho- terrifying awful I was like that's like scary. Oh my I gosh. don't I don't understand that. But as a Catholic, I'm super stoked because All Hallows Eve is like dude, it's like celebrating the saints in heaven. It's yeah. the best.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we eat candy. And I can we, get behind that.
0: I can get behind that too. And we have a big dance party at the at the Thomas Center. I can get behind that too. Me too. I, this year is going to be like super t- projection map DJ
1: action gloriousness, dude. I'm st- one, of the, oh. one of the nerdiest things you've ever said. It is, like I said, All Saints Day, the Solemnity of All Saints. Solemnity. So our readings this week are coming out. We're mixing it up on the Solemnity. We have been in Isaiah and Jeremiah. We've been in the Gospel of Mark. And now we're totally mixing it up. Everyone's going to be adjusting their sound because they think something's wrong. It's just Father Peter beatboxing quietly. Our first reading is coming from the book of Revelation. Revelation, speaking of spooky. Revelation chapter Revelation. 7, verses 2 through 4, and then jumping to chapter... Uh, I'm sorry. Revelation 7, <laughs> 2 through 4, and then 9 through 14. Scott, I think you're caffeinated today, dude. Oh, that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Um,
0: yesterday, I couldn't even... I could barely talk, and I realized that I was super caffeinated and totally dehydrated.
1: Oh, that's a good... Well... There's some water in coffee. There is.
0: There was not enough to hydrate this poor little, this poor little priest. <laughs> poor little priest. <laughs> poor this little, little poor, poor priest, priest of mine. I'm gonna let him shine. Are gonna? We're gonna do the responsorial psalm from Psalm 24. One B C two, three four A B five six and six.
1: Yeah, that's it, man.
0: Dude, I don't even understand what like when you start adding like B C and A B.
1: I mean, like I don't even understand. I don't even get. B it. is the latter part <laughs> of a verse. A is the former part of Boop. a verse. Our second reading is coming from First John <laughs> chapter three, verses one through three. Three one one three one three. Three one three one 1, three, one three. One three one three. It's very cool. It is not palindromic. Palindromic. <laughs> Excuse me. You're excused. <laughs>
0: And then our gospel, it comes from Matthew? Yes. Chapter 5. Yes, tell me more. Tell me more, tell me more.
1: Then you can get very far. <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. Like, did she have a car?
0: Okay, it's uh, 1 through 12a. I just wish I hadn't sang that. I really do, too. I, I, It was my fault. Let's cut that out. So what's the gospel again? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 5, 1 through
1: 12a. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's it. All right, everybody. Good night. No, 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 no! Silly. Um, you, you always revelation. You always do that. You, I stole it from Car Talk.
0: I know you stole it from Car Talk, And um, freaking frack are pretty sweet.
1: <laughs> Click and clack. <laughs> oh, is that what they're? Did called? you really think it was freaking frack? No, I just thought it'd be funny What's if I said that. You?
0: What's the matter with you? You know, there's something that, that as you become a dad, you ha- rejoice in saying incorrect things that you know that other people are going to correct.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll correct you regularly, Father Peter, because you are my father. Um, and so my kids can correct me because I am their father. So okay. revelation. Dude, so
0: this is the thing. The other day I was like going around and I have, I, I got it in my, I got a, a uh, I got into my craw. I was going to say you, I knew you were going to say craw. I got it in my craw to make a world history map timeline. That, that was this
1: morning. That was like 20 minutes ago. Well, no, that's been in. It's been in my. Oh, it's like, been spinning around your it's head. It's been spinning it. in my head, and okay. um,
0: and uh, and so I was looking on the internet if anybody had like a good start for me, and I found this dude's website who, like, he was going through Revelation and he was starting to like make um oh, allegorical ex- explanations of, oh, ex- of of all of these things, oh, and dear. he said that that April seventeenth, uh, twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen started uh, started the tribulation. So we're in the middle of the tribulation, and.
1: And, uh, Some would say we've been in the middle of the tribulations for two thousand years, but who am I?
0: But but who am I? Who am I to bring You're
1: up? only a scholar, dude. Who am I to bring up facts of the faith?
0: Anyway, <laughs> but I just so I, I just like my my starting position today is from this totally wild conspiracy theory thing, which I have to say I kind of enjoy compir- cons- conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. Just because I think that they're. Um, they're kind of amusing and they are all half-truths, And yeah. but I really like the truth and that's why we do the lucky guys. Half is a little bit generous. It is very, uh, g- way too generous, actually. All right. So Revelation It's imaginative.
1: Is, yeah, it is. It's recapitulative. No, it's not, but that's what I want to talk about. Recapitulation. Recapitulative history. I actually <laughs> thought that was where you were going when you talked about history. I was going there and then I got derailed. So the book of Revelation consists of a lot of recapitulative history. Revelation. Very, <laughs> that's what you default to. Um, <laughs> oh, man, where do you start with Revelation? I mean, it's such a such a loaded book. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, because everybody's got their associations. Like end of the world, seven You know, every it's it. Well, there was a there was a biblical commentator I read once that said, you know, Revelation's got all this weird stuff and imagery and dragons and beasts and horsemen. And someone said wrote once that um of all the beasts that John wrote about in his in his apocalypse he would find none more terrifying than his interpreters <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, yeah. Cuz it just gets all people are all over the do a do a Google search on revelation and it oh, gets,
0: gets weird. Well, it's like Nostradamus. Nostradamus and Revelation are like they really are in each other's pockets. Well, I don't think they're in each other's pockets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me. Cur- okay, so, you know
1: what? Today I feel like I've said nothing right for, at all. So uh, I'm sorry. I'm no, gonna, you have. I'm going to start over. I just think it's a one way. It's 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 not a two way street. Revelation it's, stands on its own. No, no. So people try to usurp it. Well, that's you exactly
0: surp- it. Okay, so let me let me now. I'm going to say accurate things rather than things that are inaccurate. Fair enough. Okay, Revelation is from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it is a gift. It is it is actually in Revelation. It is in uh, the canon of scripture, it is totally awesome. It's very difficult to interpret. Nostradamus is just a weird expression Uh, that has all of these kind of structural elements that you can start to interpret however you want. Yeah, and, and this is the thing, is that a lot of times what people will do is they will try to use the same principles they use to interpret Nostradamus and apply them to Revelation. They're going to say, oh, look, I know exactly what this means, whereas actually reading it in a Catholic way, which is reading a word in the context of a sentence, a sentence in context of a paragraph— a paragraph in context of a book and a book in context of the entirety of revelation. Mm. Like that's actually the way in which we read. So when you're starting to talk about recapitulative history, that's actually where we're going to go is we're going to say like, how can we discover what this is already, how this has already been fulfilled because every prophecy has both approximate and a remote fulfillment. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, mm, um, found in the midst of context. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I, 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 Oh, gosh, I had something you, 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 yeah, you, you hit it. Um, say what you just said again that every uh prophecy has a proximate, a proximate and remote fulfillment, yeah. So, um, that's where we get into trouble with Revelation. So, proximate means there is a context for the original readers that this book, which is really a series of letters. Is actually going to there's something that would have made sense specifically to them to the first audience, right? And there's also something that is meant for us because I'm not in the first century audience living in Asia Minor. I'm not one of those people, right? So there's dangers on both sides of number one, making it only applicable to me in 2015. And where can I find President Obama or the Clintons in the Book of Revelation? I mean, we we, (laughs) people do that. They're like, oh my gosh, this is you're forgetting that you're not the first person to have read this. But you can do the opposite as well and be like, well, no, this is just a book for the original audiences, and it really doesn't have anything to do with us right. either. So we can err on both sides. And what Revelation is, is a, especially Revelation, is a very vast combo of both. So there's three major schools of thought on how we can interpret the book of Revelation. Number one, it is... These are all the options. Number one, it is a book primarily written about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the crucifixion of Jesus. Right. Number two, it's primarily a book about future events that have not taken place yet, which have to do with mainly our political leaders and me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Number three. It's a book primarily about the spiritual realities that are happening all around us that we actually can't see, that are taking place on the spiritual realm that have effects in the in the physical realm, right? So do you know which one the church says that this is about? Uh, Jim, I think
0: I will take uh, door D. I think I'll take uh, the other door, which... Uh would be a combination of all the other doors.
1: And that's that's so often what the Catholic understanding is. It's it's usually not an either or, it's a both and. The book was applicable for its first audiences, and it's applicable for us, right? Right. So, yeah, and to nuance that, I think the church would, would say, historically speaking, it is primarily, it's mainly a book about... What's taking place in the geopolitical time that we're dealing with in the first century. So it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. it's it's a mini, it's an elongated version of what Jesus says in the three synoptic Gospels. So Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 are all sort of seen as mini apocalypses. and those are those passages in each of those books where Jesus says, remember that he talks about the destruction of the temple, in the destruction of Jerusalem, the curse on the temple, his apostles always come to him like, what will this be like and what will be the signs that precede it? And he says things like, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and the sun will go dark and the moon will fall and the stars will fall from the sky. Remember all that?
0: Yeah, Those are many apocalypses. I'm still just kind of like tripping out on the fact that you had, on the tip of your tongue, the, the,
1: the You know, <laughs> chapter and verse on all of these. I'm like, wow, man. Well, but it's funny because each of the, the synoptic gospels have that little apocalypse. Right. And people have been confused. Well, John doesn't have that in his gospel. John does have it. It's just a whole nother book. Boom. So it's the book of Revelation. So it is primarily Nobody's talking done. about the crucifixion of Jesus. What is spiritually happening in heaven in the heavenly jerusalem when we on earth are watching jesus nailed to the cross what is spiritually happening what's the Mm. spiritual reality behind it what's spiritually taking place when the jerusalem temple which used to be the housing place of god is being trodden down by israel's enemies what's the spiritual reality behind that that's what this book is primarily about but it's also if we understand that then it will also give us clues for what will happen at the end of time, at the end of the space-time world when God begins to recreate. This is why Revelation ends with not the obliteration of creation, but a looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. Right. So looking back to what happened when Jesus was destroyed and reborn, we can get clues for what will happen when the space-time world is destroyed and to be reborn, Right in yes. the new heavenly Jerusalem. So it is about that for us. And simultaneously, it is showing us that third option, the spiritual realities behind the physical things that we can see. Now, there's another reading lens as well that I don't want to really get into too much now, but we can also read this um, as a as a, um in view of the Mass. Which, and the one which thing,
0: is a beautiful, but there's a lot more so complexities that come in.
1: Well, and that's not necessarily a reading lens so much as it is it makes it's clear at the beginning of this book John says basically while i was saying mass i saw all of these things it says while i was caught up in the spirit on the day of the lord that that's sort of liturgical code language. language code language in the first century for saying mass so it's not that this is necessarily just a reading lens for the mass right. but it's saying john happened to be saying mass when all these things happened so um so uh you can see liturgical symbols. There's incense, there's altars, there's all sorts Lamp of things. Lamp stands. So there's it helps to vestiture. make this all make sense. Yeah. yeah. So there's four sort of Concurrent pieces that we're talking about in Revelation.
0: Well, yeah, it, it actually contextualizes like this. Yes, yes, this, yes, this, yes. That's it. And as Catholics, we totally geek out because we say, "Oh yeah, 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 we yeah." Should geek out. The liturgy is actually the privileged place for reflection upon history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the parousia. its its the simultaneous action that we live with every day as Catholics. That
1: right. Yes. Parousia means the the second coming of Christ. Second
0: coming of Christ, the the, the eschaton. eschaton, the end times. <laughs> 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 I'll just i just be your translator. <laughs> Thank you. That's I need one. I I think I need the music and a translator. That's going to be. Bum, bum, bum,
1: bum, bum. So all that being said, where we kind of step into the book, we're in it. We're in a unique place in the book. So unique we're right in the art. middle of um the section. And some of you, even if you haven't studied this, you have probably heard of. Uh, what the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls, right? Isn't
0: so, there a, isn't there a, a, a like a weird Swedish movie called I, the Seventh Seal? Oh, the Seventh Seal. It's yeah.
1: it, it's Ingmar Bergman. Ingmar right? it, it's, Bergman. It's a very famous. It's a very good film. It is actually. Um, y- yeah. So that which is obviously a revel a, a reference to Revelation, but the uh, seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. These are all. Um, instruments of god's judgment and the the horsemen of the apocalypse all show up at this in this context it's all about destruction and chaos those seven things are what's called recapitulative so the seven seals are actually the same thing as the seven trumpets which are actually the same thing as the seven bowls they're just slightly different perspectives on all of it which again we believe is primarily yes the destruction of jesus and the destruction of the temple and what's going on here but they're they're different perspective in, in in a similar way that you know Matthew Mark Luke and John are all just giving similar uh, different perspectives on the same event right yeah so it's recapitulative in that sense there's not 21 separate events going on here it's it's like my friend our friend uh, Thomas Smith talk about talks about it as Russian nesting dolls so like the seven trumpets are all kind of contained inside of the seven seals and inside of the seven trumpets there's seven bowls contained inside so. There's so much more we could get into, but it's all this kind of imagery, this layered, it's like an onion. It's this layered imagery of kind of what's spiritually happening when you see the city of God, the the centerpiece for all of Old Testament history being trampled down. What's the spiritual reality behind that and all that? In the middle of all of that judgment and chaos, which again gives us clues for what will happen in our times, in the middle of that, there's this little respite in chapter 7, which is where we step in. And in this little respite, we kind of get this view of the holy ones in heaven and sort of what they're seeing and how they're sort of observing this. And and the fact that in the middle of chaos and destruction and judgment, there is hope and there is restoration and there is blessing, right? Yeah. So we're given an insight in what's going on in heaven. So um, the judgment, chapter 7, really, the judgment is held off. Uh, until the faithful, it says, are sealed on their foreheads.
0: Those 44,000.
1: Those 144,000. 144, now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you'd say that 144,000 people is a literal definition of how many people will go to heaven. And if that's true, we're all in pretty bad shape <laughs> because that's just not very many people. Yeah. The one thing that Revelation does a lot, it uses like, lots of symb- symbols and imagery and numbers and colors to speak to different realities, this is this is the Hebrew mindset. It's very image-led and it's poetic, right? Yes. So uh, like we uh, were talking about last week, one hundred and forty-four thousand is actually, yeah, it, it's not just that's How many people are in heaven? It represents twelve times twelve. Uh, well, twelve thousand um, times twelve. Yeah, no, twelve times twelve. Is that right? Well, I mean so so basically I mean, it represents 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel.
0: Yes, which, um, which like this is the thing is that there's it's a multiplier. It's like well, saying that there's
1: some sort of reality that's flowing forth from the 12. Yeah, so so just like I think I'm sure we've talked about this, the number 7 is often used to refer to completion or perfection, right? The number right. 6 is often used to refer to human corruption or human beings leaving left to their own devices because human beings were created on the sixth day. If we don't look beyond the sixth day to the seventh day, we're just left to ourselves. And that's always a bad thing. Seven always has to do with the completion or perfection. The number 1000, especially in revelation usually refers to a lot Literally, it's not usually literal, but it represents a lot. So if you're talking about 1,000 times 12, you're talking about a lot of people from all of the 12 tribes who have been scattered and been re-brought together. So put that number together, you get 144,000. It represents this vast multitude that represent the 12 tribes of Israel, which have been scattered to the four winds and have now been brought together with all the other nations with them.
0: Reconstituted.
1: Reconstituted, right? This is the imagery. And it says, after this, I saw this vision of a great multitude who no one could count from every nation, race, people, and tongue. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb. All of this should remind people who have read the Old Testament about um, these prophecies, especially Ezekiel, that talks about all nations will someday flock to Mount Zion. They will come to the new temple. If this book is on one level about the destruction of the old temple, that's to make way for the new temple of Jesus. To which all of the nations, every tribe, tongue, and and multitude and will, nation, yeah. will come to, will flock to, and they're all sitting before the throne of the Lamb, right? Um, it's this, and uh, they're on they're on Palm Sunday because they all have palm branches. They all have palm branches, which yeah, it's a reference to Palm Sunday. But Palm Sunday is, do you know what that's a reference to? Yeah, I mean that's a, the the reference to the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. But what are the palms a reference to? Oh, because um, there's an Old Testament context for that. Oh,
0: isn't it something
1: with uh, the? I oh, it's on the tip of my brain. It's a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, so yeah, one of yeah. the things that you would do on the Feast of Tabernacles was or booths have, or booths, right? You'd have a procession where you wave palm branches. So there is actually this. Uh, it's in Zechariah, I think. Is it in Ezekiel as well? It's in Zechariah for sure. That refers to when all the nations come and flock to Jerusalem, they will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles together. What's the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, it recalled that time when Israel dwelt in the wilderness. When they'd been freed from slavery, but they still couldn't quite see their full salvation, the promised land, and they recalled how they sojourned with God, and even in the midst of this sort of travail and traveling together, God Himself traveled with them, and He was in a tent right alongside of them. So they dwelt in tents, and and today, if you go to the Middle East to Jerusalem, even if you go to Manhattan, right, there's people who well, well, dwell well, in tents during the Feast of Sukkot. Right across, here, right well, across, across the, the street. street yeah. yeah, yeah. The pastor, uh, house, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Wilhelm has a little bike that he rides around with, that literally has a little, little structure around it, his little Sukkot that he rides around campus. It's awesome. But it recalls this time that God always was with us. And so it's fitting that when all the nations are gathered back together, they will celebrate this feast that remembered, man, it sure looked dark. It sure seemed ugly. There was all this tra- travail, but God was with us and he was leading us to the promised land. That's what palm branches being waved would have reminded the people of God of, which is why when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, it's not coincidental that everyone grabs palm branches to wave because they're like, now the sojourn is over. He's arrived. We've gotten to the promised land. There he is. And, and then Revelation is showing on a spiritual level, this is going to be exploded and blown up in such a profound way. I'm just I'm just embracing it. It's beautiful. Yeah. So that's that's our our insight which it's super is poetic. so fitting that we get this on um the feast of the solemnity of all of all saints, right? Because we're we're imagining this reality that we're all called to. We're all called to stand before the throne, to recall the great things that God has done, to sojourn together, to be at that final Mount Zion and to celebrate together. That's what the saints have reached. That's what um, they've accomplished, they've gotten there, they've finished the fight, they've run the race, they're there, they're waving the palm branches. And we should read this and be like, yeah, we're in the middle of the suffering, we're in the middle of all this chaos, but there's hope in the middle, because we know where we're going. I, it's know, a neat first reading. That was a lot of time in the first reading, yeah, yeah it's, well, it's a big one.
0: Well, this is the thing, though, is that we like, we like we have to recognize, too, it says one of the elders spoke up at the, at the end of the reading mm-hmm. and said to me, who are these wearing white robes and where did they come from? <laughs> they, so it's a fair question. One of the elders in the vision goes to John yeah. and says,
1: who are these guys? It's like me asking you rhetorical questions.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and John knows the answer. Yeah. He well, says, well, he says, sorry, you're the one who knows. Yeah, this is <laughs> like the Lanky me. guys right yeah. here. So... <laughs> Right here, angelic <laughs> lanky guys, lanky guys, angelic version. So, <laughs> so, so who are these? Who are the? I, you're the one who knows Scott.
1: Mm. Oh, these are the ones who have just survived the great time of distress, the travail, the travail. They that have washed a, their robes. April seventeenth. How have they washed their robes?
0: In the blood of the lamb, which is very confusing because every time I've washed anything in blood, it really does not <laughs> come out very white. I'm it just never saying. works.
1: It just never works. And obviously, there's a veiled reference to baptism in here as well. This is sort of what we're washed in. That is the blood, you know, our, our baptism enters us into that. But it's it's again multi layered. Yeah. But it, also our suffering because we participated in the cross. Yeah, yeah. It's just beautiful. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love
0: that because the the, the Christ as the Lamb of God. Is my favorite symbol, and oh yeah, and like being able to see and and like the fracture right when it says, "Behold the Lamb of God," uh, and and the, the host is held um, above the chalice in this reunification of body and blood in the moment of of recognizing both the slaying of Christ in the crucifixion and yeah. the resurrection in and then the reconstitution and the experience of the lamb and it's a, like and as we're there and we're like oh my gosh I'm not worthy to receive the lamb and we wash our uh, we drink the cup that the lord has has had drank and it was just really beautiful it's super profound
1: yeah totally which is a great well I think the second reading is such a great uh, I'm sorry the the psalm is such a great response to this and the psalm I'm just looking at this at face value and I'm seeing the church in her wisdom placing the psalm there As a guard against a misreading of Revelation, which is so prevalent in Mm. the way that we read Revelation. Because you read Revelation, you're like, oh my gosh, there's all these horsemen. That's what we've just read about in the section that leads up to our reading. There's horsemen, there's chaos, there's war, there's famine, there's rumors of wars, there's bowls, there's seals, there's fire. That's crazy. Then you get the psalm, which is, oh, well, Lord, this is the people who longs to see your face, which is a reference to those who have washed their robes. but. The psalm begins by saying, Hey, the earth is the the Lord's the Lord's are the earth in its fullness. The world knows who dwell in it. All of it is the Lord's. If you see chaos, if you see judgment, if you see all of this chaos reigning on earth, whoa, take a step back. The earth is the Lord's. Mm. It's okay. Yeah. Because look at the spiritual reality that's actually going on. God is in control of this. What you see are these horses and this chaos and this war and this famine and people at each other's throats and all this stuff. But revelation is reminding us there's a reality behind that. You have to pull the veil back a little bit. And once you pull the veil back, you realize, oh, it's okay. The Lord is still in control of this. Right. And my call is to persevere and to live through this travail and to wash my blood, wash my robe in the blood. That's my responsibility. I can do that much. Yeah. And if I do that, then I'll be assured this glory. But the earth is the Lord's. And because of that, Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. And we long to see your face in part because it's hard to see it here. Because there is so much chaos. It's hard to see it. We long to see it in its fullness. We trust that you're there. We hear your voice. We know you're there. But we want to see your face. Because quite frankly, and I'm not that old, but the world is a dark place. And I I hope this isn't heretical. But there's a part of me that's tired of seeing the face of Jesus that looks like bread. I want to see his face. He's veiled himself, and I'm grateful for the Eucharist because it's the greatest gift that we have. But I wish he didn't look like bread anymore. I can't wait for the day that I actually see what's behind that bread, what he actually looks like. You know what I mean? But I know, but that's what keeps me going, is I know when I look at that bread, it's not bread, that there's actually a reality I can't see. I long to see your face. I long to see what's behind that. Yes. That's a good thing. Yes.
0: Absolutely. And Because... I want to experience the not dimly as in a mirror, but directly. Like, like this is the thing: is this is a mirror of His glory, and I want it. I want it unveiled. I want to experience the unveiled, unbridled glory. I know that I can't endure it right now. Yeah, because because this is the thing. It says that um, one um, who may stand in His holy place, one who one whose hands are sinless, whose heart is clean, who desires not what is vain. That ain't me. That ain't me. I mean, like, that's the thing is that like, I have all this stuff that, um, that unless the glass is entirely pure, it will burn, you know, like, and like, that's where we're in the process of purification. And we're walking that road to, to become ever more accustomed. I mean, that's why I think it's good if you look back on your life and you go like, man, I was crazy. Yeah. Cuz it means that you recognize that there's something more mature, more solid, more pure in yes. your life now. Yeah. And that's and that's why all saints day, I mean that's why we're celebrating. These are the ones that that could endure in uh, the vision of God.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is why we have purgatory is that we can actually we can actually get there. God right. wants to purify us. That's a whole different discussion. But it's exciting. Well, beloved. So, yeah, that takes us to 1 John. 1 John is one of those Kind of obscure, little ones in the back. (laughs) First John is, there's not a whole lot of evidence, and John's name is not actually used in the book, but it's believed to have been written by John, the same John that wrote Revelation. Uh, For for some people, it's pronounced Juan. Juan. Um, The the common belief, I think it's safe to say, is that Revelation was probably written first, right, by John while he was on Patmos. The gospel was written afterwards, right, because he sort of presumes... Upon the other gospels. You know this story. I'm going to give you another perspective on it. And then the letters of John are written even after that. So this is John having worked through a lot in his life. I yeah. seen a lot, experienced a lot. We Profound don't. Profound wisdom, pu- being purified to the root. Absolutely. And we, and we don't know that much about this letter. We don't exactly know the destination it was meant for. We know that he's writing to encourage the people who are dealing with heresy, basically. But, but in that, we can glean so much. And again, knowing the guy that presumably wrote it, beloved, see what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are, That which goes back to what you just said, that reading that psalm, like who can do this? Who can stand in this holy place? Right. We'll see what love the Father has bestowed on us, but we can actually call ourselves that. We actually have the capacity to stand before God. We can be cleaned. We can have sinless hands and hearts that have been cleaned, not because we're so great, but because the Father has bestowed this great love on us. Um, the reason the world doesn't know him is that it doesn't know us is because it didn't know him because we're too wrapped up in what we can see and not what's behind the veil. Right. right. And we need a world who knows how to distrust their senses from time to time. Right. And be like, there's more to this than meets the eye. Right, More Um, than meets the the eye. Beloved, we are God's children right now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. It's been hinted at because we have stuff like Revelation. And for John to be saying something like that, we're God's children right now. What what we are yet to be hasn't been revealed, even though I actually got to see him at the throne room. I got a peek, right? (laughs) So he has a sense. But to, to hear that guy saying this, it's, it's fascinating, isn't right. it? Right, yes. We do know um, that when it is revealed, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him makes himself pure as he is pure. Again, he's saying all these things having seen and glimpsed. So we can look to his writings, hear this encouragement, and be like, yeah, thank you. Because yes. <laughs> you know. You saw this thing. He's like, keep going, because I've seen it. I don't know what it's going to look like in its fullness yet, but I've had a hint. I've had a taste. Right. He's like, go, go for it, because realize who you've already become. It's just, it's a beautiful, um, again, encouragement. I mean, as we celebrate All Saints Day, he's like, yeah, that's you. That's every Christian is called to be a saint. Not, you know, maybe not ordained, not not ordained, Ordained canonized, yeah, you know, publicly, but a saint nonetheless.
0: You can't make it into heaven without being a saint. Amen. Saints are just people we know made it into heaven,
1: and that's where it's sort of i was i was I was kind of trying to figure out why, okay, why does the gospel fit in? then and the reason the gospel fits, it's the it's the beatitudes. The reason the gospel fits is that, okay, if all of this is true, if this grand vision, mainly led by John in our readings today, is all true, yeah, how do I do it? How do I access that? theres There's all the stuff that God has given me and wants to give me, He wants me to see behind the veil and have all this stuff. How do I do it? And then we get this very, it's almost surprising. The church gives us Matthew. It's like, oh, here's how you do it. And you get the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the clean of heart, the peacemakers, right? And it, it's one of those things that you read. We've heard the Beatitudes so many times, and it's just this, I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you, but it, it just almost seems trite, like, oh, be pure, be a peacemaker, you know, be meek, meek be humble, yeah. blah, 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 Morn. blah. I've heard this a million times. Right. But but realize, you know, to put it in, in context, in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus does this, he's dealing with a society, a Jewish people who is on the brink of war, who are taking up arms against the nation of Rome, who is the 10,000-pound the elephant that they don't stand a chance of defeating. Which
0: is the war machine. The
1: war machine of the world, which has defined really all warfare, Since. Right. Those are the people they're about to go up against. There are these false leaders, these false messiahs claiming to be the king, claiming to be the one who's to come, leading everybody out into the wilderness to go up on mountains to make big rah rah revolution speeches. So, in the context of that, everyone sees Jesus, who is doing all these sort of royal political things, go out to the wilderness. He's got 12 cronies with him. He gets up on a mountain to give a speech. I mean, there's we often read the Beatitudes as though the context didn't really matter. I mean, Jesus could have said this at his kitchen counter just as well as on a mountainside in Galilee. No, it matters where he said it. There's a I think I stole this from our friend Way, but you know if I if I you know say I was before I was married, right? I'm dating Annie at the time. And I took her out to this fancy dinner up at the Flagstaff House, this big, fancy restaurant right outside of Boulder. Right, I take her up there. I've got my my best suit. She's in this beautiful dress. We've got this candlelit table. It's overlooking the mountains. Wine, champagne is at the table. We know and it's at, coming. And at one point, I get on my, I get off of my seat and I drop to one knee and I take her hand and I'm like, Annie, I forgot my wallet in the car. Can you please go get it? <laughs> you're like, what? (laughs) Can you pick up the check? I don't have my credit card. You should punch me in the face, right? Because you've set the stage for For... something specific. Yes. You know a proposal's coming. And so when something else shows up, it doesn't make sense. Jesus, when he goes up to a hillside in Galilee and stands up to make a speech, he sits down, actually. Because that's the position that a teacher would sit in. He sits down on a hillside in Galilee. You're expecting a revolutionary speech. He's created the image. He's set the stage for you, and then he gets up, and you're expecting: "We gotta fight the Romans. We gotta get Caesar out of here. You know, we have to take back our land." Da 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 da. And he says, "Blessed are the blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn." Basically, he takes
0: he actually takes a bunch of negatives. Yes, all of the all of all of the beatitudes are are horrible things that like. uh, (laughs) That's a big bug. That is a big bug. Showed up. Yeah, he takes all these things that that nobody wants in their
1: lives, mm. but that they all have. But that they all have. They're all stuck with these things that they want to be rid of. Right. I don't want to be meek anymore. I don't want to be humble. I don't want to be poor. I want to be rich. I want to be powerful. I want to be mighty, like Rome. He's like,
0: no. He says, no. I actually, there's a blessedness to this. The more coffee I'm having, the louder
1: I'm getting. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I've noticed that. Oh, I forgot. You've given me I have a lot of coffee. I've,
0: I've got more coffee. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's all Mine's the negatives. Mine's cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which is that? This is actually the the wildest part about the saints is that what the the primary reality of the saints is that is that they on this in this world they imitated Christ in unique and faceted ways that were precisely them. Yes. But that showed forth the glory of how the Lord was working yes. always. So, they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. But that's actually what their what their witness to us is. I mean, like we have we have Saint Drogo, our our coffee house patron. Mm-hmm. Here's somebody who lived the cross of Christ in a totally unique way. Um, yeah. I mean, like he was a good looking guy, and he prayed to be made ugly so that so that he could. Experience. I don't even know why he prayed to be ugly. I have to find that Humility, humility, and maybe he was getting macked on, and he just kind of getting macked on. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) nineteen ninety (laughs) eight, dude. This is the this is the problem in my life (laughs) is that like literally I entered seminary ninety nine and like everything changed, and and I've been playing catch up since two thousand six.
1: It's like the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. (laughs) It's like you came out of the hole and. (laughs) <laughs> Nothing. I'm one of the mole women, is that really, what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Some of you might get the reference, some of you do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but now, but now we're—I'm uh, totally derailed. What, yes, was what was I even saying?
1: Um, the 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 beatitudes—they're all the negatives. The people who wash their blood in the lamb wash their robes in the blood of the lamb
0: are the saints, and that's actually what we're celebrating today. Is this is the way mm. Jesus shows us the hodos, yes. and the people who walk the hodos ha- are marked by the Lord and marked by these beatitudes, which. Uh, the, yeah. all the world says are lame but the saints chose and are so inspirational that we take them for patronage we take them to actually share their riches upon us so that we too can live this out in the world and that is worth a big
1: party absolutely so that's why we have it that's why we ha- that's why this is a solemnity cuz it's worth a big party man
0: ba, ba, ba.
1: boom so the readings I mean they're very well structured. You get the reality that we're aspiring to. Yes. It moves into the reality that we're seeing but that we long for. And then it tells us how to get there.
0: Right. Because because there was a fulfillment in a very real way of the book of Revelation, hmm. but there but it is yet to be fulfilled. That is like in its totality. And that's that's why we live as a church as yeah. if it's all going today. Yeah. Today nope. is the end of the world as we, we know it. Yeah, I feel fine. Fine. But then um we have another ten thousand years of the church, yeah. and we've only just begun.
1: Yep, we've we're, only just begun. Yeah, we're to begun. live as though it's the end, but also
0: that we have another ten thousand years.
1: Yep, simultaneous.
0: And that's really the truth of it: is that we're we how, have we've
1: been living in the end of the world since since Christ Christ came out of the tomb. Literally, this has been the end times for two thousand years. Because for the ancient Jews, the end times, the eschaton, you know, we think of end in the sense of okay, if I'm the last in line at Safeway, I'm at the end, right? That's not what the end meant. It meant the climactic times. It's, this it, is the end that we've been waiting for. We live in the climax of human history. That's what we mean by the end times of the eschaton. Not like, okay, this is it. End of the story. No, this is the middle. This is the climax. Now everything. Now we can begin. Because now we look forward to eternity. Right. Now the world is changing. Yeah, they, they think that it's it's the last moments of the denouement. Ooh, that's very French. I'm just a storyteller in my heart. So so, go pray to the saints, you guys, because they're helpful, and they're yep. they're up there. Yep. Standing at the throne of the lamb. Ba, ba, ba. So, you guys. And we if anybody me. knows how to get there, they do. Yeah, uh, so.
0: amen. They show us their way. They show us how they did it. Indeed. And uh, that's why my grandmother used to say, don't pray to St. Rita, because she exacts a price. <laughs> Oh Rita, and I was like, "No, man, I'm just gonna pray to Rita because she is totally a powerful intercessor for the. She's the patroness of the impossible." Oh, dude, talk about like the best, dude. Talk about a title. Yeah, that's that's the beastly. So pray to her for the impossible.
1: Yes, we love you guys. Keep it real. Don't fake the funk. Celebrate the saints. Do it. We'll be back next week. Find us on Facebook. Send us an email. Um, Like us on everything. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.